Hello and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. This is Shani Tarragon and before we resume, I'd like to apologize for the lapse in Shirim for the past few days and enthusiastically return as we continue with Parshat Mitzorah. Tezriah Mitzorah, as we know, are usually combined as they are this year, but on a leap year, Tezriah Mitzorah are read separately in order to accommodate the additional weeks. Does this show us that the two Parshiot in fact form one unit? which is seven times subdivided in order to accommodate for a longer year? Or are they, in fact, two independent units, which at times are read together simply to accommodate the yearly cycle of reading the Torah? One may argue that the two parshiot, in fact, do have different themes. Tazria, as we have learned, discusses the definition, the identification of Tzarat, and as we'll begin today, Mitzorah focuses on the process of purification. However, as we pursue our learning of Parshat Mitzorah, we're going to recognize that a new form of tzarat is going to be taught in this parsha, namely tzarat on a house. If that tzriah is all about the definition of tzarat, then really tzarat habayit should have been placed in last week's parsha. The fact that this section is found in Mitzorah seems to teach us that the Torah does not divide the Tzarat section this way. As a matter of fact, it seems that the laws of Tzarat span from the beginning of Parshat Tazriah until the end of Mitzorah, for that's when there is a summary of the entire section of Zotorat HaTzarat. The summary at the end of chapter 14 includes all different types of Tzarat, Tzarat HaBeget, Tzarat HaBayit, indicating that there is a connection between these two portions and leads us to the conclusion that really there isn't a break between Parshat Tazriah and Mitzorah. However, this does not necessarily indicate that Tazriah and Mitzorah are in fact one Parshiah. After all, we know that this Parshat Tashavuah is really comprised of various Parshiot. As a matter of fact, we learn that the section of Tumat Yolidit the ritual impurity resulting from giving birth at the beginning of Tazriah is going to precede the laws of Mitzorah. And at the end of Mitzorah, we're going to find the laws of the Zav, the Shechvatzera, the Nida, the Zava, all different forms of ritual impurity resulting from bodily emissions, which certainly are not types of Tzarat. Nonetheless, it's clear that we're supposed to learn all these different forms of impurity as one context, for the ends of the section in chapter 15 of all these forms of Tum'ah and with Vihizarte Ma'od Mitumatam, teaching us that just like at the end of Parshat Shmini, following all the different laws of the impurity of various animals there, we found a general warning of not defiling ourselves for Hashem who took us out of Mitzrayim is Kadosh and therefore we should be holy as well. So too, we find at the end of chapter 15, a general warning for Am Yisrael, that we should be careful not to die in a state of Tum'ah by going to the Mikdash. Therefore, a separate warning is issued at the ends of the large Tazriah Mitzorah unit, teaching us about all various types of ritual impurity. If that's the case, we wonder what is the common denominator in the relationship between all the different forms of Tum'ah discussed in Parshiot, Tazriah, and Mitzorah. What's the relationship between the Yoledet, the Tzarat, the Zav, throughout these Parshiot? Is there any common denominator of the various impurities found in this Tazriah Mitzorah unit? Chazal, in fact, seemed to answer this question, 
as they place all these categories together in a Mishnah in Kritut, Davchet Amudbet. Generally, immersion in a mikvah is sufficient to achieve tahara, ritual purity. When it comes to tumatmet, ritual impurity resulting from contact with a corpse, the purification also requires the sprinkling of water of para aduma, the mechatat. The Mishnah lists who are known as mechusarei kapara, cases of tumah that require a korban to achieve a level of tahara that is necessary before one eats kochim or enters the mikdash. There are four muhusare kapara, in other words, four for whom immersion in a mikvah does not suffice. The zav, the zava, and the yoledet, and the mitzorah. Notice that all of these examples of muhusare kapara, for whom tzvila in a mikvah will not be sufficient for them to re-enter the mikdash, all appear in our tazria mitzorah units. Now, there are cases in Tazriya Mitzorah where Tzvilah, the mikvah immersion, is sufficient, such as the case of the Shechvat and the Nida. In fact, even in Parshat Tazriya, we found that there are certain forms of Tzarat that only require Tzvilah. For example, when a Kohen places a Safik Mitzorah under quarantine to determine whether or not it will deteriorate, or perhaps whether the condition will improve, that's considered a state of Safik. So instead of a full process of tahara, it's sufficient for him just to become purified through immersion. So too, we will learn in the case of Zev that if he's not a full-fledged Zev, in other words, he only has two emissions and not three emissions, he's still considered somewhat of a Zev. He needs immersion in a mikvah, but he does not require a korban. We will see, though, that all these lower levels of tzarat or Zev, again, or even shechvat and ida, don't undermine our thesis, but rather are really subcategories of all these different forms of mihusare kapara. So how are we to view this requirement of bringing korbanot in addition to immersion before re-entering the mikdash? Are these korbanot needed to remove a certain amount of leftover tum'ah, and that's why they're part of the process of tahara? Or maybe they're just an independent obligation necessary to go into the mikdash but they're not really a stage in the purification process. With this, we're going to take a look at the purification of mitzorah as the paradigm for understanding the different aspects of purification. We're going to see at the beginning of Parshat Mitzorah that there are three phases in the purification of the mitzorah. Let us begin with chapter 14. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying that this is the law of the one who is diagnosed as a mitzorah, as a leper, on the day of his purification. He shall be brought to the Kohen. And the priest has to first go forth outside of the camp where the mitzorah has been waiting, and the priest shall look and behold, if the plague of Tzarat was healed, and this in itself is significant to teach us that first we have to make sure that the case of Tzarat does not spread, then The priest then is commanded to take for him two living clean birds and cedarwood and scarlet and hyssop and 
and the priest is commanded to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel overrunning water. As for the living bird, that he shall take, and the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them, and the living bird, in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle upon him that which should be cleansed from his tzarat, from the leprosy, seven times. And he shall pronounce him tahor, and he shall then let the living bird go free into an open field. Next stage, will continue in Pasukhet, is that he shall be cleansed and shave his hair. For now, let's take a look at this first stage, known as the stage of Kapara, taking two birds, one of which is slaughtered and one freed over the face of the field. Although we haven't learned this yet, this is going to be strikingly similar to the two goats that a Kohen must take on Yom HaKippurim. One goat is going to be slaughtered in the Mikdash, and the other, the Seir Lazazel, is going to be sent out. The same words and verbs even of Lakach and Chai and Shachat and Tabal, and even the location of the Sadeh and the Midbar are going to resonate by both stories. But perhaps the most striking parallels of the two are firstly, the pairing of two animals, which are then separated to life and death, and secondly, the freeing of one animal rather than sacrificing it. The first is going to be stressed by the requirement that the two birds of the Mitzorah and the two goats of Yom HaKippurim be somewhat twin-like, namely identical in size and appearance, and that they even have to be brought together as a pair. The second parallel of freeing one of them is strengthened by the identical verb in both contexts of vishilach. The Ramban comments here in chapter 14, verse 4, the reason for the sending of the bird is like the secret of the si'ir hamishtaleach, the si'ir lazazil. There it is sent to azazil in the desert and here to flight in the field. Although as the Ramban states, we don't necessarily understand all the particulars and the nuances of the entire sacrifice of the azazil, we do know that it is part of the process of kapara, of achieving atonement. So too, Eva, as the Mitzorah returns to the camp, it's clear that he must do something. He must atone. Being a Mitzorah is a state that requires atonement. So just like on Yom HaKippurim, one has to take the goats and send one out as kapara, so too one has to take two birds and make sure that one is sent out as kapara as well. In the case of the goat, there is a confession, the Kohen Gadol is going to recite vidui for all of the iniquities of Am Yisrael. In the case of the Mitzorah, there is no obvious sin, and therefore there is no confession. The bird itself is not a chatat, but just like by the Yoledet, it is v'chiper v'taher. It is part of the process of kapara. The Ramban, in fact, identifies three distinct mentions of kapara in the case of the Mitzorah and explains that we do not understand what all of these kaparot are for. Perhaps the Asham will atone for the sin he committed before he became a Mitzorah and the Chatat that he brings for the sin he committed while he was a Mitzorah. If perhaps maybe he blasphemes against God in his grief and the Aula and Mincha may be as a Kofer Nefesh, some type of redemption of the soul that he should marry purity and return to his tent. 
From here we see that the lack of any explicit mention of sin in connection with mitzorah leads one to suggest, as the Ramban says, that the meaning of kapara is not forgiveness of sin, but rather a redemption from a state. In our case, if the mitzorah has been outside of the camp, estranged and isolated from society, then tum'ah that originates in the body itself needs to be changed. He needs to be redeemed. He needs to come back to his pre- previous state, a state of redemption. Kapara will replace his old state with a new one. The Ramban suggests that this is the symbolic aspect of the bird. The bird, just like the goat, so to speak, carries away the sins, but in this case, the bird carries away not sins, but the tumah of the mitzorah to the field. And only by sending this aspect of the mitzorah away can the rest of him be healed and then continue along the process of re-entering the camp of Yisrael. We now continue with the next stage. We read how the blood of the slaughter bird is added to mayim chayim, fresh spring water, and then cedar wood, eitz erez, scarlet, the shni tola'at, and hyssop, the ezov, together with the live bird. They're all dipped in, and then the kohen sprinkles vihiza, he sprinkles the mitzorah, the purificant, seven times. This reminds us of another process of purification that we're not going to hear about until Sefer Bamidbar, Parshat Chukat, namely the preparation of the para aduma used to purify atmei mit. There, it's the ashes of the para aduma that will be burned together with an eitz eriz, the cedar wood, shni tolaat, the scarlet thread, and ezov, the hyssop, added to mayim chayim, and then sprinkled on the tamei. The outcome of the para aduma ceremony is known as tahara, giving us a sense that that's exactly what is being accomplished through a similar ceremony of the mitzorah. If we've discussed kapara, then the next step is tahara. The hazaya, the sprinkling of all this, as opposed to immersion in a mikvah, is known in the Torah as chitui, literally disinfecting, a much stronger form than simply cleansing through immersion. Immersion in a mikvah also symbolizes cleanliness, but without much effort. A person coming out of the mikvah has been renewed, restored to his original state of cleanliness. A mitzorah, however, needs a much more comprehensive form of cleaning. He needs a special agent, the kohen, with a special mixture of hazayah in order for him to return to his pristine existence. After the initial stages, then, of kapara and tahara, we now continue with the process as we continue in verse 9. And it shall be on the seventh day after beginning the initial process of cleansing that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair of his body he shall shave off. And he shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in water and he shall be considered pure. And on the eighth day, he shall take two he lambs without blemish, and one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three tenths part of an ephah fine flour for a meal offering, mixed with oil, and one log of oil. And the priest, who had already started the process of cleansing him, shall continue by setting the man that is to be cleansed with all these things before Hashem, 
at the door of the Ohel Moed. Velakacha kohen et hakeves hachad, veikriv oto la'ashem, vetlok hashemen, veheinif otam tnufa lefnei Adonai. And the priest shall take of one of the he lambs and offer them as an asham, a guilt offering, and the log of oil, and wave them as a wave offering before Hashem. Veshachat et hakeves bemkom asher yishchat et hachatat vetaula bemkom hakodesh, ki kachatat hasham hu, lakohen kodesh kodeshim hu. He shall take the Helam in the place where they kill the sin offering and the burnt offering, which is in the same area of the Mishkan. For as the sin offering belongs to the priest, so is the guilt offering. It is considered Kodesh Kodoshim. after taking all the animals, the priest then takes the blood of the, of the guilt offering and places it upon the tip of the right ear of him so that it will be considered pure, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the big toe of his right foot. And the priest takes the log of oil and pours it onto the palm of his own left hand, and then dips his right finger in the oil in his left hand and sprinkles of the oil with his finger seven times before Hashem. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest puts on the tip of the right ear of the mitzorah that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hands, he shall put on the head of the mitzorah, the one who is going to become pure. And the priest shall make kapara, atonement for him, before Hashem. The priest takes a sin offering and makes atonement for him of the mitzorah because of his tum'ah, his impurity, and afterwards he kills the burnt offering. 
And the priest offers the burnt offering and the mincha, the meal offering, upon the altar, and the priest makes atonement for him, and he shall be pure. And if he is poor and his means do not suffice for him to bring the aforementioned karbanot, then he takes one he lamb for the karban Hashem, for the guilt offering, to be waved as kapara, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a meal offering, together with a log of oil, with two turtle doves or two young pigeons, so that he can afford them, and the one shall be for a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. And on the eighth day, he brings them for his purity, for the process of cleansing onto the Kohen, to the door of the Ol Moed before Hashem. And the priest takes the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest waves them as a wave offering before Hashem. And then he slaughters the lamb of the guilt offering and takes of the blood of the guilt offering and puts it on the tip of the right ear of the mitzvah that is going to be purified and the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. And the priest pours of the oil onto the palm of his own left hand. And the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that's in his left hand seven times before Hashem. And the priest puts of the oil that's in his hand on the tip of the right ear of the mitzvah that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, and upon the place of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that's in the priest's hands he puts upon the head of he that is going to be pure, to make atonement for him before Hashem. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves, or of the young pigeons, such as he can provide for, as his means suffice. Even such as his means suffice, the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, with the meal offering, the priest then makes atonement for him that is to be pured before Hashem. This is the law of a person who has tzarat, who may not necessarily afford all the aforementioned sacrifices, so instead he brings what was just mentioned in the verses to partake of his process of purification. This last stage that we just read about takes place on the eighth day of the process of purification of the mitzvah after spending seven days outside of his tent. He then brings a number of sacrifices, just as we saw by the Yoledet, to ensure that he may re-enter the oil moed. One of them, though, is an asham. The Kohen takes the blood of the asham, places some on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe of the mitzorah. He then does the same thing with the oil, and finally places some of the oil on the mitzorah's head. This is supposed to remind us of what we learned about in the eighth chapter of Vayikra, the same thing was done to the Kohanim, to Aaron and his sons, as part of the inauguration of the Mishkan during Shabbat Yemei Hamiluim. While Aaron and his sons stayed at the entrance of Ol Moed, the blood of the second ram was placed on their right earlobes and their thumbs and their big toes, and they were also anointed with oil. This ceremony is so unusual that the similarity is all the more striking. And even if we don't understand all the details, it's clear that the Kohanim are being inducted to serve as Kohanim for Hashem. The oil that's placed on their heads is a classic inauguration ritual that was done also for kings. And apparently the blood on their right limbs also has similar significance as seeing them as an extension of the Mizbeach. The entire seven day period of their inauguration for the Kohanim was called Miluim, literally filling them in with something new or Chinuch, dedication, like the Chanukat HaMizbeach. Just as the Kohanim were embarking on a new role, separate from the rest of Am Yisrael, they needed to be appointed, anointed, prepared for a new task, which is all the more surprising then with regard to a mitzorah. He's returning to his regular state in the Machaneh. Apparently, this teaches us that the mitzorah has 
contracted such a strong form of tum'ah that regular purification cannot take place, as opposed to the Yoleta that we've seen, wherein as soon as she offers her sacrifices, she immediately can return to her, her state in the Mishkan. Mitzorah has been further distanced from Hashem, and therefore requires a special process to restore him to that state. He has become so tame that he has lost his personal status on a level of being a Yisrael, just like a Kohen was not hitherto a Kohen. So just as a Kohen needs a process of chinuch in order to instate him as a Kohen, so too the Mitzorah needs this process of chinuch in order to restore him to a state of being one who can serve before Hashem. In fact, the Miluim and the Mitzorah are the only contexts in Tanakh where the term tenuch is found. What's the relationship between the inauguration of the Kohanim and the Tara of the Mitzorah? If the Karban Miluim was to sanctify the Kohanim by placing the blood of the Karban Miluim on the body of the Kohanim, there was some type of metamorphosis. They were ordinary people beforehand, and now they're elevated, eligible for the role as intermediaries, as representatives, ambassadors of Am Yisrael in the Mishkan. This teaches us that the Mitzorah is also transformed. There was Kapara, consisting of removing part of the Mitzorah's personality, letting it fly away, so to speak, Tahara, the cleansing of what remains through Hazayah, the sprinkling, and then Chinuch, rededicating him in the service of Hashem. The first stage involved the taking of two birds, the sprinkling of blood of one of the birds on the Mitzorah, following by shaving his entire body and Tfilah and the Mikvah, allowed the Mitzorah to return to the camp. For now, his Tumah has been diminished. The second day phase began after a seven-day wait. The Mitzorah once again shaved his entire body and immersed in the mikvah. He is now tahor, but until he brings his korbanot, he is still prohibited from entering the mikdash and eating kochim. It's the third phase that takes place on the eighth day, just like the kohanim, when the Mitzorah brings the korbanot, allowing him to enter the mikdash and eat kochim. But after the second phase is complete, hasn't the tumah of the Mitzorah already been removed? Is the prohibition from entering the Mikdash due to his obligation to bring certain sacrifices, but not because he remains in a lower state of Tum'ah? Or perhaps some remnant of the Tum'ah remains, which is only removed through the Korban. This is in fact debated in Mesachek Vitut, and Chazal conclude that there is a common denominator of four Tum'ot, as we began the Shi'ur, of Yoledet, Tarat, Zav, and Zava, all mentioned in Parshiyot, Tazria, and Mitzorah. By all of them, the Torah requires kapara of a korban in order to achieve tahara that's necessary to enter the mikdash. One may propose that in general, a person becomes tameh due to something external. In all of these cases that we've been learning about, of mechusare kapara, the source of the tumah is internal, or as we discuss, physiological, known as tumah yotze megufo. The tumah comes out of his very own body. There are cases of Tum'at Yotzei Mugufo that do not require Korban, such as Nida, Sheikh Batzera, but we've already discussed that these are subcategories of the same family of Tum'ah. So whenever the Tum'ah is external, such as consumption of a tame animal, all that's needed is removal of the Tum'ah. At that point, the person should theoretically return to his previous status, which allows him to access the Mikdash. However, he has to wait until the day of immersion is complete, it's full yom, and only when the day has passed and night arrives, and with it a new day, 
is a person who was Tameh and went to the Mikvah, permitted to return to the Mikdash. Apparently, even though the Tumah was removed, one retains the status of Tumah throughout the day and can attain a new status only with the arrival of a new day. With respect to all these cases of Tazriya Mitzorah, of Tumah Yotzei Megufo, wherein the Tumah is internal, the transition from Tumah to Tahara is much more complex. For even once the Tumah has been removed, it is insufficient to simply wait for a new day to come. After all, the source of the Tumah did not come from outside of him, but from within. The person is not only a recipient or a carrier of Tumah, but he is the Afatuma, the very source of Tumah. So in this case, regaining the status of Tahor requires much more than the arrival of a new day. Something must happen that changes the person's status as the source of Tumah. According to the Torah, this is the final stage of Kapara of a Korban. In all other cases of Mechusare Kapara, the sacrifice of the Korbanot is sufficient. But a Mitzorah requires the very special ceremony of placing blood on the guilt offering and the oil on the person together with the blood, which we said resembles more the process of inaugurating Kohanim. In all the other cases of Mechusare Kapara, the Oledet, the Zav, the Zava, we're going to find that even if the source of the Tumah emanates from within the person, the person does not become inundated with Tumah. Regarding Tarat, however, the Tumah apparently is inherent. The blemish isn't just on the body of the individual, but the body itself becomes Tameh. The Tumah is not just skin deep, but the person himself is affected. Maybe this is why Chazal compare a Mitzorah to a person who's actually dead. The Tumah is inseparable from the person. Therefore, in contrast to the other Muchusare Kapara, a change of status is not enough. A metamorphosis is required. A new identity has to be created. The person must change his identity and must be elevated from Tumah to inherent Tahara. Therefore, the same process that's used to transform Kohanim is going to be reapplied in the case of a Mitzorah. Regarding Kohanim, the transformation was from Chol to Kodesh, from mundane to holy, while the Mitzorah changes from the other terms of God mandated Tum'ah to Tahara. He changes his personality, he rejuvenates his personality, and then in Chinuch, he rededicates himself to the service of Hashem. So as we conclude, we argue that Tazria Mitzorah really is one unit with a common denominator being Muchusare Kapara, connected to Tumat Yotzei Megufo. Regarding all other Tumot, the impure person is no more than a carrier of this external Tumah, but in the case of the Mitzorah, the source of the Tumah is internal. Therefore, the person himself is considered or defined as Tameh, and that's why his purification requires a change of identity, basically a rebirth. That's why he shaves off all his hair. And this is accomplished by the ceremony of Chinuch, particular to a Kohen and a Mitzorah. Tomorrow we will begin with the last state of Mitzorah, known as the leprosy on a home, Tzara Tabayit.